Please turn with me to John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Jesus Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. This is the word of the Lord. Now, um, we talked about kicking off the Lent series today. Lent means spring. And uh, it comes from an old English term that really means lengthen, which is why they call it Lenten, the Lenten month. Um, And it's because the days are getting longer, um, but it's synonymous with the 40 days leading up to the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus. And it's because of that, it's often a time of just intense spiritual renewal for a lot of people. And this season, we're still looking at the hard sayings of Jesus but we're really pointing to passages now that really focus on the last days of Jesus as he approaches the cross and his death. And by hard sayings, we mean these are confusing sayings. These are tough sayings, tough like meat, where you gotta chew on it for a little while. You have to savor the richness of what's really being said to really get what the passage is saying. And today, we're looking at a passage in John's Gospel. Now, you need to know Something about John's gospel. John chapters, John has 21 chapters, the gospel according to John, that is. And the first 10 chapters, the word love comes up around seven times. Only seven times between in 10 chapters. But the last 11 chapters, from chapters 11 through 21, we're now looking at the last days, possibly the last uh, days leading up to Jesus' death. And as you approach that final week, John spends, John mentions the word love 50 times. So John really spends half the book talking about Jesus' last days. And so you're really, really honing in on that last week. And as we hone into that last week, the word love starts to become more and more emphasized. Now here you have Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, who does something so costly and so remarkable that everyone around her, the other gospels that reference this passage, this narrative, tells us that the disciples and everyone around her are indignant. They actually rebuke her, but Jesus honors her. And the only reason why that Mary then does it is because she gets Jesus. 
she understands who Jesus is. So we're going to look at two big. So we're going to look at two big lessons today. One, Mary surrenders. Why does she surrender? Because two, Mary sees. Mary surrenders because Mary sees. First, Mary surrenders to Jesus. Verses one and two, the text says that it was six days before the Passover. And Jesus is at Bethany. Bethany is where Lazarus, his friend, lived. Uh, and Lazarus was with him at this house where he's being honored. Remember, he was just raised from the dead. Lazarus was just raised from the dead one chapter prior. And so there's a dinner that's held in Jesus' honor when Mary enters in verse 3. And there Mary does three things. Now, you have to see that this is a woman who's about to disgrace herself in public. And then she's being honored above male spiritual leaders. In those ancient times, you would never write fiction like this. No one would ever buy it. You would never write fiction like this. This is ancient times. The only reason why John, the author, would mention this narrative, this passage in his gospel is because it actually happened. John is writing for us news. This is good news. What does Mary do? She does three things. One, she takes a pint of pure nard. It's an intense perfume, very difficult to acquire, and so it's very expensive, and she pours it out. This is likely something that was passed down from generations, a family heirloom that was passed down as an investment to help protect future generations from some sort of financial disaster or ruin. In other words, Mary was literally giving up her retirement package. She was giving up her, her security. And because it was so intense, the smell of that perfume, it penetrated the entire house. And the crowd is aghast. They're horrified at this. And in verses 4 and 5, Judas Iscariot, this is Jesus' disciple, although he was a thief and he later on betrayed Jesus, she, he juxtaposes Mary's incredible act with a somewhat reasonable question. A devious question, but it's somewhat reasonable. This is Mary's life savings. It is worth a year's wages. It could have been sold, and that money could have been distributed to the poor. In other words, what he's saying is, why this waste? The act was so outrageous that people were indignant, and she was rebuked for it. Now, the second thing that Mary does is she pours out this perfume on Jesus' feet. Now, you've got to think about this. This is ancient times. There was no deodorant in the Middle Eastern section of the world in that climate, and there was no real sanitation model to, to basically discard of our trash, right? And there were ancient roads, dusty, dirty roads. So these roads were essentially filled with trash everywhere, sewage everywhere. And so your feet, open-toed shoes, your feet were the dirtiest part of your body because you walked everywhere, right? And so when you arrived at a banquet, with these dirty feet, you usually brought perfume with you or somebody, the owner of the house would have somebody standing there with perfume and spices and oils to cover your feet or to cover your head. Why? Because if your feet smell, I mean, if you've ever experienced this in a meal, if your feet smell, it pretty much ruins your meal because everything around you smells. And dealing with people's feet because of the nature of the roads and the trash and the sewage, it was so demeaning that there were laws that, were, that protected even slaves from tending to a person's feet at a banquet. But then Mary enters, and she pours out 
this expensive perfume, this perfume on Jesus' feet. She's wasting the best of what she has on the lowest part of Jesus' body. By tending to his feet, she's lowering herself beneath that of a slave or a servant. She's giving up her status. She's giving up her dignity. Now, this is the clincher. The third thing she does is she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. That means that Mary untied her hair and let it down, which was considered a public disgrace back then. Why? Because you only did this at home. You never did this in front of strangers and certainly not in front of men. And a woman's hair was her glory. It was a private honor. It was a private beauty. It was what made her beautiful. What does she do in this public place in front of men? She didn't care who was there. She lets her hair down and she starts to wash Jesus' feet with her hair. That means his smell and the dirt and the trash and the sewage that's, that's caught up in his feet is ending up in her hair. Mary's hair, she's surrendering her glory. She's surrendering. People are mortified by this. She's giving up her status and her reputation, her beauty, what makes her beautiful. She's trashing it. Why does she do it? I mean, this is financially unreasonable, culturally unheard of, religiously unacceptable, certainly not logical. But by pouring the perfume, Mary is saying that I'm willing to give up my security and my treasure because you are my treasure. By pouring it on Jesus' feet, she's saying, I'm willing to lower myself. I'm willing to give up my status, give up my social standing because you are my dignity. You are the source of my dignity. By wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, she's saying that I'm willing to surrender my beauty and my glory because you are the source of my worth. In a patriarchal, male-dominated, class-oriented, status-oriented society where women had no rights, not even her witness, eyewitness testimony would ever be acceptable in a court of law, it's a woman that's being honored here. And in this religious society, it's a woman that's willing to demonstrate real surrender and real sacrifice. In a world where a woman's hair defined her beauty in a sense, Mary is saying, I'm going to give up my beauty. I'm going to surrender it all. It was an intentional act of surrender, an intentional act of sacrifice. The world says, even now, I mean, we say today, but that was ancient times, primitive times. We don't care about how we look today, right? Women don't care about how they dress. Women don't care about their hair anymore, do they? Primitive society. The world says, you never give up your security. You never give up your gifts. You never give up what makes you feel beautiful. You gotta flaunt your assets, flaunt your beauty. Everyone is indignant. Even the disciples are rebuking Mary. And Jesus says in verse seven, leave her alone. In Mark's gospel, he says, she has done a beautiful thing for me. She gets me. She gets it. Giving up that perfume Mary is saying, there's nothing that I am not willing to give up because of my love for you. And because Mary gets Jesus, she responds with a radical humility that drives a radical generosity. And she says, there is no act of devotion that you cannot ask of me. 
Helen Roosevelt was a missionary to the Congo, I believe in the 1960s. Um, she was a brilliant woman, a bright woman. And uh, she was said to have, uh, this is anecdotal, she was said that, it was said that she would always question the value and worth of something before ever doing it. So whenever somebody asks her to sacrifice something or give something, she would question, is it really worth it? And then she would answer the question. And if it's worth it, she would do it. Well, she went out to the Congo as a missionary, and there, at one point, she was taken hostage for months and raped multiple times. And one of the, and there was one time where she was raped and left alone, and there she fell to the ground, crying and weeping, and that question came up again, is this really worth it? And her answer, at that moment, in pain, in disgust, in disgrace, she says, no, it's not worth it. But then a still small voice spoke into Helen Roosevelt, calling out, Helen Roosevelt, the question is not, is it worth it? The question is, am I worthy? And she wept and responded, oh yes, Lord, you are worthy. Mary, in this beautiful, remarkable act, is saying that there is no act of devotion that is beneath me. There is no act of devotion that is uh, beneath my dignity. There were laws that protected even slaves from tending the people's feet. It was the dirtiest job. John chapter 1, you have John the Baptist, who upon hearing of Jesus, knowing that Jesus is coming, says, I, one is coming that where I am not even worthy to unlatch his sandals. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm lower than the dirtiest part of who Jesus is. I'm lower than his feet. I'm lower than a slave. A slave even has rights. I'm lower, I'm relinquishing my rights. I'm lower than a slave. That is a radical humility. And for Mary, it led and drove a radical generosity. She dropped any idea of saying, well, I deserve something better than this. I, I serve Jesus, so I deserve a better life. What she's saying is, I'm willing to take on your physical dirt and your mess and take it on my hair, my glory. My glory will now be ruined by your dirt. And I know it's temporary, but I will sacrifice my honor and my status and reputation so that you will be honored. You will be dignified. No matter the cost. It is a beautiful picture of biblical femininity in a patriarchal, male-dominated society. Now, did she do it because she was calculated and she's thinking, well, if I do this in this large room, somebody's going to write it down. And 2,000 years later, they are going to be talking about me and what I did for Jesus. They're going to remember me forever. No, that's not what she did. Until you say, you owe me nothing. I owe you everything. You will never have a radical humility. Until you say, you owe me nothing. I owe you everything. You will never have a radical confidence. And you will never then have a radical generosity. But when you do, you will be setting your heart and mind and will on Jesus. You know what you're doing? You're truly worshiping. You're saying, Jesus, you are my treasure. 
I will do anything for you because you are mine. Until you see that Jesus is everything and all that you have, you will never see that Jesus is all that you need. And until then, you will not get Jesus. There are people in this room, there are people in this room, good people, well-intentioned people. You pray, you're consistent at church. I'm grateful for you. You're committed to community, committed to service. I'm grateful for you. You're even theologically trained. We're at the least theologically sharp, educated. I'm grateful for you. But I have a question for you. Has any of that increased your love for Jesus to the point where it leads you to a radical humility, a radical sacrifice, a radical generosity? Are you radically lowering yourself gratefully? Does it lead you to a radical service? Or is it really, is church and community, all of this, just another outlet for your increased potential? I have gifts, I have talent, I can serve. What can I offer you? Is it just a place where Christ is magnified through you in your brokenness and weakness, or is it a place where you are magnified and elevated because you can highlight what you can do? Is there an increased surrender to Jesus, or are you just assuming that you've already surrendered to Jesus? The reality is that the church is filled filled with people who say they love Jesus, but they're really not willing to surrender what they really love to Jesus. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, you have King Saul. God wanted to bring justice to this people called the Amalekites. They were enemies of Israel. He wanted to end their violence once and for all. So he sends Saul, and he says, I want you to go, I want you to wipe out the entire country. Leave nothing alive. I'm going to end this violence once and for all. But Saul disobeys. He takes the king hostage. He plunders and saves the best livestock. And Samuel, he's hearing the livestock. And so he goes to Saul and he questions Saul. And Saul essentially says, no, 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 no. You misunderstand. I saved this all so that I can sacrifice it to God. This is, we're going to have our great worship service today. I'm going to sacrifice it all. I worked to bring, this, bring all this together. Remember, livestock, land back then, that's, that was wealth. We didn't have bank accounts back then. You had livestock. You had land. And so to take it and to save it, he was, he was gathering up wealth for himself. Saul says, oh, no, 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 you, you misunderstand. We're going to get this, we're going to take this, and we're going to sacrifice it to God. And you know how Samuel responds? He says, Saul, when Saul's the king, he says, you don't get it. To obey is better than sacrifice. In other words, it was never about the money. It was never about the perfume. God doesn't need your treasure. He wants you. He wants your undivided, total devotion. He wants your undivided love, your undivided trust. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying at this point, oh, Pastor Donna, you must be saying you need to serve harder. You need to serve more. You need to be more religious. Look, the religious people, they can't do what Mary did. If you're religious, you can't do what Mary did. 
Everybody in that room, including the disciples, they were all religious to a degree. Religious people, the religious, they're willing to pour out. They're willing to sacrifice. They're willing to give. They're maybe even willing to lower themselves a bit, go to the feet, uh, so to speak. But they will never be able to let their hair down. You know why? Because when you let your hair down, you're giving people a view of your private world, your private self. It's very risky. So religious people, they almost are always frustrated because they never, they're never truly vulnerable. No matter what community they're in, they need to look made up to certain people. They need to look put together. They need to look like they have it down. And so they're always working and working to show that they're acceptable, working for approval. And so they're smug and they're judgmental and they're guarding their reputations. And so when you challenge them, they get very defensive, right? When you challenge them, They get super, super defensive, and and they bite back at you, and they're only content in the church if they're serving in a way on their terms, in a way where it builds and elevates their status. So any confidence that they demonstrate really points to a lack of real confidence. But look at Mary. Where did her confidence come from? Her humility bred confidence. And her confidence breeds humility. Irreligious people, they have no problems letting their hair down, but they can't pour out. They're very tight-fisted when it comes to their wallets, their time. They're not willing to pour out. And uh, they can't pour out. They can't sacrifice. They can't lower themselves because the whole point of what they're doing and pursuing is to elevate themselves. And so they're still really working for approval, working to be accepted. And they're building their confidence on their own in a way where they can say, yeah, I want to be noticed. Mary, Mary doesn't surrender to be noticed by Jesus. She doesn't surrender to earn Jesus' love. She doesn't surrender or sacrifice to get intimacy from Jesus, but because she already has the love of Jesus, the embrace of Jesus, the intimacy of Jesus. It became her confidence. And that led to this beautiful act of surrender. Mary surrenders. Why does she surrender? Well, the second point is it's because Mary sees. She sees beyond the cost. She sees the perfume is just perfume. The money is just money to her. She sees beyond the cost. She sees beyond a year's wages. She sees beyond this large investment. Well, that's something that rich people do. Mary wasn't rich. Mary was actually poor. So this thing, many people would clutch onto this as their lives, but Mary, she sees beyond all this. Think about the sacrifice. I mean, if you take everyone here, if you were to take a year's salary, whatever it is that you make in a year, Take that annual salary, you know, your bonuses, all the other stuff, put it together, pour it into one tithe, and then just offer it up. Offer it up. What happens? What happens there? It's going to hurt you. It hurts to even consider giving an amount. You, oh, you're like, you bristle at that. It hurts. In fact, if you were to ever do that, it would take years to recover from it. To take a year's salary, it's going to hurt you. You're inviting immediate financial risk into your life. That's the visible reality. But Mary sees beyond the cost, beyond the investment, beyond that visible reality. What does she see? In verses 7 to 8, 
Jesus says this. Jesus says that Mary did this for my burial. In other words, Mary is able to see something that none of you are able to see. Mary clearly gets that I will be dying soon. Yes, Mary saw the worth of Jesus. They were friends. Yes, Mary saw the beauty of Jesus. Yes, Mary even saw the wisdom of Jesus. But she saw something else that the other disciples didn't. Now think about this. Throughout the Gospels, Mary's always at the feet of Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, which we covered in our series, Martha is working to prepare the meal. But what is Mary doing? She leaves the meal behind and goes and sits at the feet of Jesus, taking on the posture of a student and learning from him. In John chapter 11, Lazarus, her brother, dies. And Jesus intentionally waits extra days to go before he raises Lazarus back up to life. And Mary, at Lazarus' death, when Jesus arrives, she goes to Jesus and she falls at his feet. Why? She's taking on the posture of listening, the posture of humility, the posture of learning. In each of those narratives, Martha's there too, but Martha always gets rebuked. Mary never gets the teaching. Mary never gets rebuked. Why? Because she already understood. She's been listening to Jesus. What do you think she was doing sitting at the feet of Jesus all those times? She's learning. She's taking it in. All the disciples are hearing the same thing. Jesus is saying over and over, I'm going to die. Jesus is saying over and over, I will be betrayed. I will be arrested. It's the religious people and the, and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law that will be taking me in, betraying me, and I will die. He even goes so far as to say that I will be crucified. Nobody else gets it. Mary sees. Mary gets it. She already saw Jesus. And so, recognizing that, realizing that Jesus is going to die, she, she sees the compassion of Jesus. She sees the power of Jesus. She sees the love of Jesus. And she's listening. And you must know, from this point on, in the book of John, a lot of people follow Jesus. A lot of people believe in Jesus. But also there are people now rising up to plot against Jesus. So verses 9 to 11, you see almost a juxtaposition. Mary commits this beautiful act. And then in verses 9 to 11, you see some people visiting the house to see Lazarus. And they start to plot. They plot against Jesus and Lazarus. Mary is cutting through the smokescreen of religiosity. And she sees it. And she gets in. She sees the crowd. She sees the tide turning on Jesus. She's starting to see the plotting. And she sees that Jesus is going to die. And she realizes Lazarus was just raised. And Jesus is going to die. People are plotting against him. Someone's going to pay for all this. It's going to be Jesus. This is where the story is going. This is where the narrative, this is Jesus' end. And so in chapter 11, Jesus is weeping at the loss of Lazarus, his friend. And in chapter 12, in the midst of this party, it's Mary who's weeping ahead of time at the loss of Jesus. It's an amazing act of sacrifice. And it comes out of gratitude because Mary sees Jesus. And what she saw, it motivated her to give up 
everything in that moment. Very important. Why? Because other things that motivate us, I mean, to give up something that you love, there are really only two ways, two motivations. One is going to, it's a hammer. You know, other motivations hammer you towards surrender or to sacrifice or obedience. But if you really see Jesus, if you really get Jesus, if you see the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus is going to make for you, if you see his love, if you see his compassion, if you see his grace, if you see his power for you, the only other way is if you are melted into surrender out of gratitude. So either you're going to be hammered into surrender or you're going to be melted out of gratitude into surrender. You see, if you're saying, but I can't. Be generous like that? I can't. I don't want to live with the cost of that. I don't want to, what, if, what if I'm wrong? I have doubts. I don't want to live with the burden of expectations. I, don't want, I can't live with that kind of a sacrifice. I can't bear the cost. I can't bear the weight of that. It's because you don't get who Jesus is. You don't get what he did for you. And so any change that you're trying to make is really because you're feeling the weight of the hammer. But what if you see that Jesus Christ on the cross took the full blow of the ultimate hammer, the weight of sin for you? Mary saw it because she's been paying attention to Jesus at his feet. My question is, do you see it? Week in and week out, we're here. Do you see it? Mary saw the gospel. She saw the tide changing. And Jesus, he, she sees, Jesus never pulls out this calculator and says, well, okay, I'll give this much. That's not what he does to weigh, weighing out the cost. From the beginning, Jesus says what? This is my mission. This is what I'm called to do. This is what I came to do. And she paid attention. And so she pours out this expensive perfume because she recognizes that Jesus is going to pour out his life. Jesus is going to pour out his blood. And Mary's starting to realize it wasn't just for Lazarus. Jesus is going to die for her. On the cross, Jesus Christ, the author of the book of Hebrews, says that he is the exact radiance of God. You know what that means? He is the beauty of God. He is the embodiment of the beauty and the brilliance and the power and the glory of God. That makes him sweeter than the sweetest perfume. And yet he would be broken for his people because of his love. Jesus' blood would be poured out at the feet of those who would despise him and they, as they yelled and hurled insults at him, and they were indignant before him. It was his blood that filled the area with the smell of death. And when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is now I'm receiving the hammer of God's wrath for the weight of everyone's sin pounding on me, and God has abandoned me. My security my inheritance has been lost. It's been spent. I am broken. I've lost my standing before God, my status before God, my position before God. I've lost the Father, and so my Father is the beauty. I've lost all beauty. I've lost all glory. On the cross, Jesus, he was likely reciting Psalm 22. 
Um, uh, you, you notice that because of what he says uh, during his time on the cross. He's literally reciting Psalm 22. And in Psalm 22, verse 14, what he says is, I'm being poured out. Why? Mary poured out the perfume to wipe Jesus' feet. Jesus poured out his blood. Jesus was being spent so he could wipe away our sin. He could wipe away our mess, our dirt. As, as we get cleaned by Jesus because of the cross, he is getting dirty. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know what that means? On the cross as he's pouring his blood out. As his blood is pouring out, it's cleansing us. And he's also pouring out his beauty and his righteousness. We get the beauty. Jesus gets our sin. That's what that means. Mary took on Jesus' dirt only for a moment. But Jesus Christ took on our sin, which deserved eternal separation from God. So it's our calm, he gets the storm. It's our peace, he got the war, the wrath. It's our richness, he gets the poverty. He gave us his beauty, and he became sin. Jesus bore, the, bore God's wrath so that we would bear God's presence. Jesus bore the weight of sin so that we would bear the love and the embrace of God. And when he said, finally, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, he was still giving up all that he had left, his last breath, everything he had left. Jesus Christ gave up to the Father, and he gave in because of his love for his people, because you are his treasure. And when you see, to the degree that you see that you are his treasure, that you are Jesus' treasure that was worth giving up everything for, there is the ultimate security that you need. There is the ultimate worth, sense of worth that you need. There is the ultimate validation that you need. There is the ultimate status and beauty and glory that you need, that you, you can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can try. You will work and work, and you'll be anxious and depressed because it's not working out, or you're failing, and you're going to mess up, and it's going to set you back. This is, what, this is the beauty and the glory that we need. How do you know? How do you know that you surrender to God? What is the fruit of surrender? Jesus says, Mary was preparing for my burial. Other people around us said, this is a waste. One of the fruits of surrender is that you start to value Jesus in a way where Jesus warrants greater trust, greater dependence. And what happens is because of that, because you trust him more and because you're depending on him more, it liberates you from self-reliance. It liberates it, and then you become more generous. That's how it happens. That humility, because why, do you, why does the gospel increase our humility? Because you did nothing to earn it. You could do nothing to earn it. Why does it increase your confidence? Because you can do nothing to lose it. And because you can't do anything to lose it, and you've done nothing to earn it, it increases your humility, and it increases your um, confidence 
It increases your joy. You start to give. You're much more radical giving there. It's a radical giving. You start to, it, it liberates you from your own self-reliance and self-dependence, that need to build for yourself, that need to save. The very word, I need to save. You're trying to save yourself. Mark chapter 14, Jesus says, she has done a beautiful thing for me. What's another fruit of, of surrender? You start to do beautiful things for Jesus. And it starts to become visible. You're not doing it to be noticed, but because you do it, and because it's so beautiful, it gets noticed. The impact spreads. We're going to be delivering hundreds of meals. People who are food insecure will have food. People who are not in touch with people will have connection. People who have only heard bad news this year will hear good news. The impact will spread. But there's another fruit. Some people, even religious people, will think you're crazy for doing it. Crazy for your sacrifice. Immature, maybe naive, maybe foolish. Remember, Jesus was surrounded by religious people. You know how you tell if somebody's religious and they've not surrendered? They are stingy. Oh, they spend on themselves. They're stingy, selfish. They make excuses for not sacrificing. They'll say, well, that's for somebody else. You know, other people have that burden. That's not really my calling. We, use, we love to use words like that, right? You know what you're saying? Listen to yourself. You're saying it's beneath me. That's beneath me. I'm not going to sacrifice my dignity for that. You're going to say, well, that's a waste. It could be, you could do better things with that. You know who else said that in this passage? The person who betrayed Jesus. You'll give just the minimum. You know, pull out that calculator. Jesus is pouring out his blood, his life, lavish, abundant grace. You say, this is mine. I earned it. The gospel is about not relying on what you earn, but on what Jesus earned for you. What's the fruit of lowering yourself? You become much more resilient. You become much more versatile because you're able to venture into areas that you never thought you'd get into. Your life starts taking turns and you start doing things and sacrificing things and serving in ways that you never thought you'd serve. So you start taking on different roles, roles that you never expected that you could take on or that you'd be willing to take on because something has come over you. You are, you are overwhelmed by the love of Jesus and it overwhelms you to give and to serve and to love others. In the early 1990s, not that long ago, 1990s, uh, there was a movie. It wasn't a great movie. It was called Far and Away. I liked the movie. It was uh, a Tom Cruise, uh, Nicole Kidman. It's actually where they met. And, uh, and in the movie, if Tom Cruise, he plays this poor Irish servant, essentially uh, working for this landowner, this wealthy landowner in, landowner in Ireland. And Nicole Kidman plays the daughter of that wealthy landowner. But both of them escape to the New World. They escape to the Americas. And now both of them, there is no such thing as wealthy daughter of a landowner anymore. She's just poor. And he's always been poor. And they have to now kind of work together to make it. Both of them have to work hard. She's never worked a day in her life. 
So Tom Cruise's character adapts quickly. He does everything. He's industrious. He's going to do whatever he can to survive. Meanwhile, Nicole Kidman is like, laundry? Well, you do it for me. You know, he starts teaching her how to do it. She's like, I'm not going to touch that. That's dirty. That's beneath me. She's constantly complaining, constantly comparing herself with other people. So immature. Eventually, though, through a series of events, they fall in love. And um, through other series, there's all these tragedies that take place. Nicole Kidman starts to get weathered. She starts to lower herself. She starts to embrace her place, embrace her condition. She learns to do laundry. She learns to labor, manual labor. She learns to sacrifice. She learns to, to lower her status, to help increase the livelihood of other people. She becomes incredibly re resilient. Later on, her mother visits, finally comes because she loses her fortune, her family. So they come to the new world and they bump into each other. And the mother is like, ew, laundry. And she goes, mom, just take it. This is how you do it. And she starts going at it, you see. What's the fruit of lowering yourself? You become very versatile, very resilient. What's the fruit of dirtying yourself, giving up your beauty, sacrificing your glory, things that you were proud of, you no longer, you put beneath you. Well, you know what happens? People no longer are attracted to you as a result because of your gifts or because of your looks, but because of your character. C.S. Lewis writes an amazing story of uh, imagining what heaven would be like and talks of this woman. And this woman is so attractive and, and, and can't wait to meet this person. You know why? It's not because she's so pretty or beautiful or has such a nice figure, but she has the air of a person. When men meet her, they love their wives more. Beautiful. Mary is not afraid of what people say. There's this incredible boldness and confidence, but it's not arrogant. She honors God with it. And it's compounded by her humility and sacrifice. That kind of person is very attractive. Very attractive. Such a cost. We say, what a waste. What's the cost of not surrendering to Jesus? What's the cost of not lowering yourself before Jesus? What's the cost of not putting, identifying with the weak and becoming weak and dirtying yourself? The cost is you, you are rendered a stingy, selfish, hoarding, fighting, fragile, complaining, always fearful, never taking risks, never adapting to circumstances, self-reliant, self-dependent, proud in this dangerous world that we live in, still telling yourself that you can make it on your own. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, I'm going to close with this, says this, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I'm being poured out and I am glad. I rejoice. You will never be able to pour out you will never be able to be poured out unless you see what's been poured out for you. You will never be able to surrender until you see who Jesus is and what he surrendered for you. Look to the cross of Christ. He owes us nothing and yet offered us everything. The only reason why you reject that 
is because you just don't believe it. So do you believe it? The hardest thing to give is up. The hardest thing to give is in. Give into him. Give up for Jesus. Give all of yourself to Jesus. Let's pray.